So I actually dabbled a little bit when I was younger, seeing if I could scale the process of receiving free samples and I'd be selling them on eBay and then looking to uh, streamline that by having the samples sent direct to the person I was selling them to. Uh, and then I'd scale with bots. Hello, good day and welcome. Here we are again, back with the latest installment of the cybersecurity sessions, a regular podcast talking about all things cybersecurity, with myself, Andy Still, CTO and co-founder of Netasia, the world's first fully agentless bot management product. Today, we're going to be talking about gambling. Now, gambling has never had the best reputation as an area to be completely free of corruption. I guess people in general prefer to gamble when they know that they can't lose. In fact, I was only reading earlier on today about one of the earliest uses of sports statistics being the use of the new science of baseball statistics to identify the fixing of the 1919 World Series, illustrating that the tradition of exposing and capturing corruption using science is a long and indeed very honourable one. So, it's no surprise that online gambling suffers the same challenges. And we're lucky to be joined today by Osric Bondervelden from Lovelace Consultancy who spends his time helping gambling companies protect themselves from online exploits. Welcome, Oswick. Thank you very much for joining us today. Could you quickly introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. I'm founder of Lovelace Consultancy and sort of the new co-director of Greco. We've spent many years specializing in protecting operators in the online gambling industry from an array of techniques that essentially lead to unintended loss. So this ranges for a whole diverse uh, mix of areas within any given operation. So we focus on multi-accounting, duplicate accounting, process abuse, simulation to AML, fraud rules and verification, content bugs, content and bonus logic, interoperability issues, integration issues, advantage play, collusion, affiliate for bonus logic, bugs and flaws. And as I say, more recently, we started development on the world's first commercially available gameplay risk engine, uh, which is Greco. Thank you very much. Osric, I think what we've got from that brief introduction is the fact that the amount of different challenges faced by online gambling companies is it's an ever expanding list and all of which you're actively working to try and help companies prevent. We can't talk about all of them today, but. I think there was one in particular that you have recently started seeing an increasing source of compromise and you've given that the rather nice name of Ed, Ed and Eddie, the Ed, Ed and Eddie problem. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so the, the wider topic is uh, duplicate accounting. So the Ed, Ed and Eddie technique is one particular process uh, of achieving that. Uh, which we named after Ed, who's co-director of Lovelace. He likes his beer and he's been known to extend his free trial periods. And so we gave it the name, the Ed, Ed and Eddie technique. So just to explain what duplicate accounting is then. So in simple terms, it's the process of creating more than one account using a single identity. Uh, and there's several reasons why someone might attempt this form of abuse. And it ranges from quite innocent to extremely fraudulent. There's the case of uh, subscriptions and prolonging a subscription periods or the incentive periods, but you can also remove limits on project product purchase limits. So things such as limited supply trailers, for example, or eventing or regaining access to sites that you've been banned from, which is obviously a big issue in the gambling industry or repeatedly taking advantage of affiliate links or free samples, or, or as I mentioned, sort of promotions. The other one, the other big issue that we're seeing is CPA fraud as well. So if you can create multiple accounts, you can essentially, as an affiliate, be incentivized for each account you create. 
it sounds like there's relatively simple ways that you could stop the obvious ways of doing this, of thinking, obviously address checking and validation. What are some of the techniques that people are using to do this? And is this kind of automated or is this manual processes that people are going through? So I'll go through some of the techniques. It's a mix of manual and automated, to be honest. And so there's the edit and eddy technique that we've talked about, which is a simple case of changing your details every time you register, subtle changes to your registration details in order to scale. So Ed, Ed and Eddie, for example, would be a change of name that may be seen as different in a duplicate account. Then there's more sophisticated techniques. So there's manual manipulation, which is the process of changing your details within an account. Essentially, if a system is only looking at the most recent details for a player, this can essentially allow the player to create multiple accounts with the same data by simply changing the data after they've exhausted whatever reason they, they created the accounts. In the case of the bonus industry, quite often someone will create an account, exploit the welcome offer, change the details and then create another. And then there's social engineering or kind of manual overrides as we call it. So this is the process of creating an account with your true details and then creating a second account that intentionally fails verification. So this could be a case of changing the format of the data. So it could be like an American style date of birth and such that you do intentionally to fail verification that then requires you to upload documents. And what can happen is that the operative checking this information can see, oh, there's just a simple mistake here. I'll correct that information and verify the account. There. And what this has done is bypass the automated process. And then there's another area as well, which kind of plays into operators overreaction of GDPR, the kind of right to be forgotten. So another technique is just to ask for all of your data to be removed and then create a new account. And while this isn't a regulatory requirement, at least in the gambling industry, there, there is an allowance for storing data that's kind of a security risk. A lot of operators overreact or misinterpret the legislation, which can lead to this kind of exploit. It is clearly outside the scope of GDPR as it's a legitimate retention use of data to track for these sorts of things, isn't it? I know you, you raise this as something that's becoming more common. Is this increasing usage? Is this being driven by the security processes that these companies are put in place to try and prevent fake account creation and things like that and basic kind of validation processes that they've got? So it's always been there. I wouldn't say it's necessarily increasing, but it's the game of cat and mouse in that regard. So when I was younger, growing up with the internet, while it was still figuring itself out, the verification processes were still very rudimentary, if existent at all. Most significant sites you could create duplicate accounts on. Maybe 17 years ago, I was starting to play around with these different processes to see how the wall systems could be exploited. So I actually dabbled a little bit when I was younger, seeing if I could scale the process of receiving free samples and I'd be selling them on eBay and then looking to uh, streamline that by having the samples sent direct to the person I was selling them to. Uh, and then I'd scale with bots. It was very rudimentary stuff. It wasn't any kind of randomization on, you know, the form submissions. There was a clear pattern in the kind of changes of the data that was being entered. And it was probably very obvious to the naked eye, like I was doing thousands of form submissions for a single kind of free sample. I, I think the problem actually was a process issue that meant that they were likely subcontracting a sampling company who was probably being incentivized per unit. And so it was overlooked. This is an example of a kind of poor process. 
um, the processes have got better now, but so have the abuse tactics. As I say, the sort of, apart from the edit and eddy technique, they're all a little more advanced and, it, and it's really down to each company. So th there's pockets of knowledge all over the place. It wouldn't be fair to generalize, but there are still many sites out there that are very vulnerable in this regard. So it's a need for process improvement ju just generally. Experiencing bot attacks, but don't know who's attacking? You need a bespoke threat insights report from Netasea's threat intelligence experts to break down how you're being attacked and advise on how to reduce bot attack risk. Visit netasea.com slash threat insights for more. I think it's interesting just to pick up on the fact that the companies may not be incentivized to do this if they're subcontracting about that. How much of these process changes you think are not being made because either the company themselves or subcontracted areas of the company making money out of this? I don't think that's necessarily, at least not in the industry I'm working in the issue anymore. There's just other kind of uh, misalignments. So there's a whole world of complications to the solutions that can be imposed to solve these problems. One of them being people do lose access to their email addresses and want to register again. People do change address. People do change their name. People's details change. And just working off someone's date of birth, it's going to have a lot of false positives. So the challenge is in creating a fuzzy matching logic that's effective and that you don't have rules that are too relaxed. Or if you do, at least you have backup processes. Going back, this was many years ago when I first graduated, I had a data entry job. And one of the responsibilities was to check for duplicates. And we did actually end up in a situation where there were two people who were actually twins. So they had the same date of birth, the same address, the same second name, and one letter different in their first name. And they continually were being brought up as a data entry error because they were seen as too similar, but it was legitimate. And I guess one of the key challenges with the Ed, Ed and Eddie problem is that for every way you try and clamp down on that, there will be a legitimate person trying to actually use the service properly. What kind of advice do you have for companies who are trying to address this issue? There are some basic solutions. There's a lot of basic problems still out there that could be quite easily fixed. So I'll kind of go through them. So. In the case of the Ed, Ed and Eddie technique in the gambling industry, the gambling industry does have age-restricted content, so they legally, at least in most regulated markets, require some form of background verification. The way this works is it's a slight play on the Ed, Ed and Eddie technique in that the person is looking to make the name different enough to bypass the duplicate account detection system, but similar enough to fall within the margins of deviation of the verification system. And so that's very easy to solve. Either the rules need to be aligned. You've got two mirrored processes, or you need to put a limit on how many people are verified as a single identity for your verification process. And then there's the kind of social engineering aspect where I talked about somebody going in with mistakes in their details and trying to get a manual override that could be solved with somebody just doing a manual duplicate check before approving any account. In the case of GDPR, it's just a case of having a better understanding of what your rights are in that regard. Uh, so there's a lot of easy, quick wins out there. Obviously, there's a lot of nuances and complications along the way, depending on your processes for how people change address or the people, like you say, that are twins even, that there's nuances that need to be sort of given acceptance. Yeah, it's about balancing the risk of 
stopping legitimate activity versus the risk of stopping illegitimate activity. I think this is a real challenging area because the sophistication that we're seeing in the kind of attackers out there and the tooling available, even the growth of legitimate single-use credit card numbers being generated for specific uses, which mask a single card is already reducing the kind of strength of using credit cards as a single source of validation. As we're starting to see some of the, the tools to allow people to to hide their identity behind other areas, legitimate or at least semi-legitimate purposes in some case, I think that just throws another challenge onto those companies, which I guess keeps you on your toes. Ah. Absolutely. As the industry becomes more sophisticated, so the, the opposition. Like you say, this is one part of a wider process. Payments having a nightmare with virtual cards and disposable card numbers at the moment, because again, now the payment process can be scaled as well. So you can create multiple accounts with, without the need of uh, recruiting or stealing additional identities. You can scale the payments with a single bank card. There's widespread understanding now of browser IP and device fingerprinting as well. So the sophistication level there has grown also. So it's a constant battle trying to stay one step ahead, essentially. So well, I think we're getting towards the end of time now. If you had one last piece of advice you wanted to, to give to companies with this issue, what would it be? I think there's a lot of pride in the industry and everybody thinks they have a competitive edge, which limits data sharing. And I think it's important that operators come together either through us or directly to understand what's happening to other operators and collaborate on coming towards a solution. That's great advice. And thank you very much, Oswick, for your time today. And hopefully we can get you back at some point in the future to talk more about Greco, which sounds a very interesting project, potentially game-changing project for yourselves and the, and the industry. So thank you very much. And thank you everyone for tuning in today as usual like and subscribe we'd love to hear your feedback we have a twitter account at cyberstepcod or you can email podcast at netseer.com so thank you very much and we will see you again in the next episode <laughs>